Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, the, Maca the Macaulay Tucker Show. Um, I rebranded myself a, a bit ago. I was called On The Mic Podcast, and I thought, hey, why not rebrand myself to, uh, to the Macaulay Tucker Show? Uh, today, we uh, have uh, a guest. We have uh, my buddy, Lake. Lake, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Any anything new and uh, interesting happened to you at all today or this week that you'd like to share? Uh, no, nothing. Nothing too crazy. Just uh, another day of work before the Thanksgiving holiday, which I am super excited about this year. What about you? Um, nothing really interesting. And so you mentioned Thanksgiving. Uh, what do you what do you usually do for Thanksgiving? You said you're excited for it. So is there something that happens usually during Thanksgiving? You know, something really big aside from your family kind of coming together. Yeah, it's it's different every year, um, really. I guess in college, what happened was a bunch of my friends from high school. I went to high school in Japan. Okay. The ones who moved here, we would meet up in some big American city, and I would usually cook for everybody. And okay. then. <clears throat> I guess after college, I went home most Thanksgivings, uh, and when I wasn't going home, I would go to a college professor's house. He would have me over. Okay. Um, then last year looked a little bit different, obviously. A friend of mine and I were trapped in Nashville, my best friend, actually. We both had coronavirus around the same time, <clears throat> very similar symptoms, so we decided not to go home since, you know, we were um, more or less immune to it and didn't know what we were carrying but right um yeah so I, I cooked a big dinner for the two of us and we just watched movies all day and then tomorrow i'm going to uh definitely going to go to the professor's house again okay um <clears throat> and then most of the weekend i have to work my part-time job right but um but yeah no I'm, I'm super stoked i love food i love cooking i love eating um <laughs> that's i awesome. worked in restaurants for a long time so definitely okay. stoked about yeah. So you mentioned a lot of things there. Um, so you you mentioned that you enjoy cooking. Is that one of the one of the things that you enjoy doing? You know, aside from music, or is it and things like that, or is it something that you you know you're good at, but you don't really want to pursue some uh, like a job in? Yeah. So it's definitely at this point more of a hobby than anything. Like I mentioned, I worked in worked in nice restaurants typically upscale for most of my early twenties, and then um, you know picked up a lot of knowledge and skills and stuff there and i definitely don't want to do it as a job at least at this stage in my life maybe right. in the future right. um yeah no it's it's something i enjoy doing i enjoy having people over i like cooking with my girlfriend and yeah that's great to hear nice. if i were to ask you this what is your favorite thing to make is there something that you've you've made you know regularly when you're making food for people that you like oh yeah yeah, I've definitely got I've got a couple of fallbacks, but my, my all-time favorite's definitely chili. Ooh, um, I've, got a, I've got a pretty robust chili recipe um, that I've been spending years perfecting, and I would I would definitely put it up against anybody's chili in a competition. That's awesome. Very spicy, but um, yeah, yeah. This is a weird question. Since you enjoy making food, what's the weirdest thing in your entire life that you've you've eaten before? Oh, good question. I feel like I have <clears throat> a particularly weird story. So one time in high school, we traveled to the Philippines and our hosts to show their, um, I don't know, it was like a welcome gift or whatever uh, ceremony. They gave us balut, which is 
they're considered to be a delicacy. Now, what balut is, is a fertilized egg that has been allowed to develop a chicken side. And then I think they just hard boil it. And so you kind of just eat it like an egg. But when you open it up, it's got like feathers and sometimes there are bones that have started to form too, but you just eat the whole thing in one bite if you can. Um, but yeah, that was that was pretty wild. I mean, it was um, it tasted like egg. It was more of a texture thing for sure. Right. But that was that was one hundred percent the strangest or most outlandish. You know, like yeah, not strange necessarily, I guess. But yeah, different. For yeah, sure. no worries. Yeah. So you mentioned you went to the Philippines, um, and you also you know you were raised a bit in Japan. Um, do you enjoy traveling around, or do you like staying in one place? Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> I like being on my feet, moving around a lot. I definitely um, am a little bit of a busybody, um, but I like to travel. Um, I used to fly a lot more than I do now. And when I was in Japan, I think I flew around Asia a lot as well. Right. Um, I don't really travel internationally that much anymore, although I do have a Mexico trip planned. Um, but that being said, I do love road trips. So I spent a long part of my early 20s kind of living on the road <clears throat> just uh moving from place to place and then i just along the south mostly the south of the united states and um yeah i don't know i do love that i love just the feeling of driving somewhere new somewhere totally you know off the map like i don't go to big cities much anymore uh that sort of lost their appeal for me Right. Um, but I do love going to like little towns, like a good idea, you know, let's yeah. sleep there. Right. Yeah. I actually have my aunt um, is uh, from the Philippines and that's one place that I would, I'm, I'm, I really want to go. I really want to go to. Is there any place in the Philippines specifically that, that you enjoyed a lot, like that you visited? Yeah. So I only went once, um, but we went to Cebu um, and we went to Bacolod. And yeah, Cebu was gorgeous. Bacolod was um, really great too. Uh, I didn't get the chance really just because of the nature of the trip to do a whole lot of exploring, but in Cebu we did a little bit and uh, it was beautiful. Um, I would love to go again, you know, especially now that I'm an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, no, I, I didn't get the chance to adventure as much as I, I would have liked to. Yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah, these, these places that you visited must be very beautiful and i've seen from your your social media is that you, you take a lot of pictures um and let me that's going to kind of go on to a bunch of different questions but like what interests you in taking you know taking pictures and you know being a photographer um that's a good question photography to me is such an interesting like medium um and i read the Roland Bart books or the Roland Bart book Camera Lucida last year and it kind of it, it channeled like the way that I think about photography in a language which was really interesting but he said that all at once right photography is both well he called it a living uh, something like a living artifact where it's like it's a dead dead image right it's a still still picture um, and so in that sense, the photograph is complete, but then at the same time, there still seems to be something vibrant about it and living and breathing that sort of transcends 
the <clears throat> moment in time in which it was captured that still seems to be actively telling us something, you know, as right. opposed to passively. There is some living part of the photograph. So that's what's so uncanny about photography, I guess, is like, here it is, it's at a standstill and yet it's alive. Mm -hmm. And I think what I like about photography and taking photos is the chance to show that like, that sublime element <clears throat> that only photography allows. It, it is uncanny in a sense because, right, it like marks the departure from, from painting, in which there's a clear limitation of the medium, or at least traditionally there was. We're able to capture something like as it is. Um, <clears throat> and so the idea that you can like use that complete recreation of reality right. to augment the way reality appears in a way, <clears throat> in a way that you would otherwise never see it. Right. I think is really cool um, because, right, like unlike painting where you're not really manipulating your environment, you are, um, you're still able to manipulate the environment, you know, in, in a strange way, even though it's real. Right. Um, and I think that's what I, what I like about photography. Okay. Yeah, that, 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 that's really cool. I, I like how you, you know, you had a book that you read that you're able to, you know, that gave you some more information about photography and some ways that you can describe it. Um, you mentioned painting. Are you into drawing, or is that like you know drawing things? Because or are you just into photography, music, and writing? Yeah, I, I sketch a little bit, but nothing seriously. Um, okay. I always wished I could paint. I do. I, I mean, I, I would say I draw like more seriously than the average person, you know. Mm -hmm. But I um, definitely like nowadays, especially when you need a tablet, mm -hmm. all sorts of to get started with a career in it. I don't think I would call myself a serious drawer, but I have thought about for some of the books that I'm working on writing or this and that, I'm, I thought it'd be cool to, you know, pepper sketches throughout some of them, just depending on what the book calls for. But right. it's a thought that I've had. I like, I like how Kurt Vonnegut uses a lot of, you know, hand sketch drawings in his books and then they really add to the the way the story goes right um when <laughs> did you start when did you start you know getting into photography like for me you know i i've always liked taking pictures but you know i've never really had a good camera so i started out at, at like a you know a point where i just i had an ipod and i would take pictures for you where did you when did you start you know when did your interest in photography begin yeah no i mean for me it was when i moved back home from japan i got my first iphone so when I was 18, I got my first iPhone. I think it was an iPhone 4. And it was the first time I'd ever had a phone with a camera in it. I'd never had an iPod that took pictures. Right. And so that was sort of my start. It was just like, oh, this is like a camera I already had. But at the time, you know, it was like, now we look back on an iPhone 4 picture. And feel like, it was ridiculous, you know. Right. But then it was like, you know, high enough quality, at least like it. So... That was my practice, and then it was like, oh, I feel like I've got an eye for this, and so I would, you know, look right. for, look for like buying a phone with a better camera. And then finally, in college, I went ahead and bought myself my first digital camera. It was a Canon mirrorless. Um, the idea was that it's a good uh, transition camera from, you know, iPhone hobby photography to uh, a more traditional kind of digital camera. Right. Um, and then I took pictures on that for a while and then I sold it when I moved to Texas. Mm. 
And then it wasn't really until I suppose it was 20, 2020 when I got back into photography because I realized um, for reasons unrelated to the pandemic that you know, photography and art more broadly was something that I missed and something that I wasn't nurturing like I did um, when I was younger. Right. So I bought, bought a camera and bought another camera and then I bought another camera. Now I've got too many cameras. <laughs> uh, but I definitely am glad that I'm able to take pictures of the capacity that I am. Yeah. You know, it was definitely worth it. Right. And it's good it's good to have, you know, it's good to, you know, start small and and you know grow over time because I know sometimes it's it's difficult to start the biggest thing. Um and it's hard to invest your money and time in the biggest thing. Um you mentioned so in pictures, um you know, in this day and age there's a lot of di- like things are going digital, right? I don't know mm-hmm. lots about it. I don't know a lot about NFTs. I know my friends tell me about it. You, yeah. I'm assuming you do know. Have you ever considered, uh, you know, putting pictures on as like putting pictures online as NFTs? I've seen people like release literal like beats and like music and like pictures of literal cow crap. Like I kid you not, I saw that one time. It's like literal yeah, pictures no, of cow crap. Everybody's just so excited about the novelty of the NFT. They'll they'll bite for anything. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> the NFT doesn't really interest me that much. Um, it seems like just kind of an extension of the, you know, San Francisco Valley tech bro culture. Yeah. Um, I know that on Twitter in particular, um, NFT has a pretty, pretty bad reputation. Now, I will say that when NFT first dropped, I was suspicious. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this sound, you know, this more. Um, more of that but i was sitting at a coffee shop outside one day and two of like the most obnoxious you know music marketing bros were and nashville's a city full of that kind of personality just because the um the music scene is so you know corporatized Mm and profit driven but two music bros sitting at a table just going on and on and on about virtual marketing and nfts and you know right. charting their way to the top and stuff and i was like oh that's that's enough exposure to nft for me <laughs> so i, I kind of passed through my feed without paying much attention to it maybe i'll regret that in years but yeah you know maybe I, won't. I don't know right. it's not something that i'm really interested in. i do think that it it demonstrates a way like you said so the the cow crap nft um i think it demonstrates the way that our attention is so um we don't have much you know of an attention span anymore and so the fact that you know these people are purchasing something that they'll only look at for a second for the novelty of the nft is almost indicative of that it's like the the um, yeah, the feeling or the novelty of, or the, I guess, sense that they're participating in some new cultural wave is more important than the thing they would otherwise be focusing on. Since it, our attentions are so zapped, they don't even have to worry about focusing on it because um, just they're just buying an NFT. This is, this is very, I think this is a hard question, but you've taken, you've probably taken lots and lots and lots of pictures. Is there one picture that you've yeah. taken, or maybe two or three, that you that you love out of all the pictures that you've taken, and why do you like these pictures? If so, 
Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, <clears throat> so right now I'm working, I'm in the process of doing a couple of things. One, I'm writing a book, one, uh, a couple books. One, I'm writing a uh, new album and kind of put that one on back burner for a little while. I've got some songs almost recorded. Um, and then another thing I'm working on is uh, putting together a print section on my website so that I can sell my photos. And what that has entailed is going through the past oh, uh, five years worth of photos, six years, seven years. Yeah, 2014. Seven years worth of photography and just finding all my favorites. Um, finding which ones I would want to sell, which ones I would want, you know, to... If, if all my photography were to go away and I'm dead, and for some reason somebody's defined one of these 20 pictures, like, you know, which, which photos I would want to use for that purpose, you know? Like, which photos right. would it be important to me that we're seeing? And um, so I'm in the process of doing that, and so as I do that, I like to see all the different photos that I've taken over the years, and I see all the different things I was learning, you know, in terms of photography or the ways that I was using the camera or the things that I was thinking about even, um, or reading. And um, it's just so interesting. So I guess what makes my favorite photos of mine, my favorite photos is maybe there's a certain shape or shadow. I use a lot of shapes and shadows in my pictures. And maybe there's a certain way that shape and shadow makes me feel like, uh, and then when I see it, I can, I can imagine where I was when I took the photo because I feel like my photography, I, I try to be anyway, very perspectival about it. Um, like I always think, you know, I kind of want the object of this photo to look like um, it would if you were to just stumble upon it, right? And so um, when I see my favorite photos, I remember where I was when I took it because it's, you know, from my own eye perspective. And then um, I guess so it can be the shapes and the colors and the shadows of emotions. It can be what the picture's about. Like if there are particular signs, you know, with lettering on them that say things that are in like, I don't know, a really dramatic place compared to the rest of the scenery and atmosphere. I can, uh, that can make me like a photo more. The composition of the photo. Um, sometimes I like them to be really minimal. Sometimes I like them to be really dense it just depends you know what it is but there yeah there are any number of things i think though what strikes me as interesting is that when i go back i just see uh, again all the changes and develops developments and stages um that i've you know passed through as i've grown as a photographer and i think that's what right. what interests me the most about that mm -hmm. yeah um, and for photography, would you were you uh, were you self-taught or did you take any uh, you know classes? Yeah, no, I just I was self-taught. Um, yeah, I just really liked the way, again, that photography could allow you to reimagine the world without changing it. And right. So I just yeah, it was it, for me it was just all experimenting, you know. Yeah. Yeah, when I asked that question, I said high school or college. I'm not not. I should have said also university. I'm not sure if you went to college or university, but um, no, yeah, I don't think the, the distinctions is quite as um, quite as intense in the U.S. as it is in other places. But yeah, I guess I did go to university. Um, yeah, 
but anyway, no, I didn't. I didn't take uh, okay. any classes. Yeah, that's that's what I've been. You know, a lot. You know, this pandemic. I'm always thinking. You know, hey, you need to take these courses to do this and do that, but you really don't. At the end of the day, you can some things, most things. You know, you can learn on your own, and that's something that I thought was cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really think that these um, these online classes and courses for things and this master class stuff, I think, is kind of silly because it's mm -hmm. just like, man, they're just inventing a new con to sell you. You know, what you really got to do is at least just get started. And maybe, maybe classes, you know, but right. I don't know. You know, like you say, it just takes doing it. Um, I like that you uh, you said that you're planning on selling some of your uh, pictures online. That that was that's cool um i don't know if you've ever taken pictures for people like i'm not sure if you are connected to any like music artists you know i sometimes I'm like hey i want a certain picture for an album cover i'm not sure if you've ever people reached out hey lake can you take a picture of this for that reason and that reason but that's a that's a great way to make money but it also might be difficult for you i'm not sure if it's difficult for you because yeah. you said you know you have these pictures that you've made is it difficult for you to like put them out there and say you know buy it take this you know yeah it is very difficult well that you raise a couple of good questions so i've shot for bands and artists and stuff in the past and sometimes paid sometimes not sometimes just for you know the portfolio but um <clears throat> i think my style was never really conducive to like an artist marketing himself so it didn't last very long it was fun to do but when I shoot people, I find that I want them to be not so much the highlight of the of the photo. Um, I definitely go after a kind of alienation in my pictures, and I think that part of that means that you know the the person must be second to the environment, um, which yeah it isn't always the greatest thing you know for a biopic or for a, a I don't know a headshot, <laughs> but <clears throat> right. I do like to shoot people, but I'm definitely more of an inanimate object. Um, okay. But that being said, <clears throat> um, I do also find it kind of difficult to um, to sell my photos because I okay. was always kind of I don't know I feel weird. Uh, same with making music. Same with anything. I put out a book as a companion to the Pineapple Tours record and. April, and I just charge people what it costs me to make it because I, you know, have a job and I make the art because I want to do it, not because I want to get paid to do it. I've always felt that, like, the moment I get paid to do it, what people want and pay for is going to have more influence over the art that I make, and it won't be completely autonomous. So, yeah, in that sense, I do feel very strange selling photos um yeah i don't know if just going back to the people in the landscape thing there's a great photographer named william eggleston from memphis tennessee um and i found him not too long ago maybe three years ago and that was after i'd stopped shooting people um for the most part but i found his photos and there i don't think i've ever seen I guess there are some with people in backgrounds, but yeah, his photos is, are very similar where there aren't really any people in them. And um, I don't know, he was just inspiring for me. I 
recommend checking them out just while we were on the subject of people and, and yeah no worries photos. yeah would you say that he is it, is your main inspiration for photography or would you say there's another person that inspires you the most in photography i wouldn't say he is it's really interesting with him because when i found his stuff it just felt like finding like a long lost brother or something this was like i say probably 2019 2018 maybe that i discovered him um he did the photo and i only learned this recently he did the front um album cover of big stars album radio city uh, really? yeah and it's a great photo and it totally looks like his stuff i just never put dots together because they're a memphis band too um, but yeah, no, I, I never, um, never saw his stuff until after I'd been taking photos in a very similar style and it was like, whoa, but, um, yeah, I mean, there are a couple of photographers that I find really inspiring for different reasons. He's one, Jeremy Crudson is another one. Um, and then <clears throat> Jean Baudrillard, he's one of my favorite philosophers, also a fantastic photographer, uh, was. But Jeremy Crudson's an interesting one because he will spend as much to set up his his photographs are like really different than anything that I go for, but in an odd way they evoke like very similar inter, uh, feeling. He will set up they're very choreographed. He'll set up an entire cityscape, like he'll commission to get a street shut down, you know, and get the the permit or whatever to shut down the street. Have somebody take over the. Um, stoplights do exactly what he wants to do but he <clears throat> creates these scenes of a very like i don't know remote and alienated america middle america and um yeah he'll spend as much on getting one picture as um studios will spend on like a full hollywood film they're really crazy. that's crazy and, yeah no and there used to be a documentary about him on netflix back when netflix was good but he, uh, it's, he, he's really another one worth checking out. He's just, if for no other reason than because it's such an interesting, I mean, it's bourgeois as can be, you know, it's definitely not like working class yeah. photography. I feel like in that department, you know, Eggleston is, is like class, he's got a class focus, you know, but, um, right. Crudson's still really good. Now, John Baudrillard is really cool too because he gets a lot of the surrealist stuff that Eggleston gets after, but it's mostly with deteriorated um, cars, buildings, um, sort of the remains of American, the remains of Americana, I guess, of American civilization. Like it's death among its life. But. Yeah, that's crazy. It's, it, it, as you said, like they all have different kind of styles. Um, as you mentioned there, they all have kind of different ways of taking pictures and different uh, places and things to take pictures of. Um, I'll make this like my last question regarding photography photography because I feel like we were uh, kind of talking on that more than anything. Um, aside from taking pictures uh, regarding cameras, are you into filming or is that something that you aren't really interested in and you're more interested in photography? Yeah, I'm not, I've never been so, so much of a film guy. I'd, well, so, I don't know, for some reason, like, I don't like movies nearly as much as I like photos and books, but um, obviously I have done some video work before, and, like, we did a mm -hmm. we did a series called Bald Internet Man as a Dave spinoff, but um, I wouldn't say that I felt that was, like, artistic. I just thought, you know, it was something fun to do. 
um, maybe like a way to, you know, connect with more people. But as far as the serious art medium, I don't think I've really taken it that seriously before. Um, for my own stuff now, I've been moved by films and stuff, of course, but um, I like, I guess the closest thing I got was in college and a couple of times since I've done vlogs, which are honestly more compositional in nature, or mine were, where it was just like, you know, a couple seconds of <clears throat> a still shot and maybe somebody, you know, like say in a grocery store, I would set up my camera and, and just focus on an empty aisle and then I don't know, two seconds into the shot, like somebody walks past at the very end of the aisle and that's it. Like that kind of thing, you know, I've done before, but that's still very much like just moving photography at that point. Um, yeah, so not, not a super serious pursuit. No worries. Yeah, it, it, it's been awesome. Like that photography, that's, it's crazy to hear all your, all these stories and about all these, these people, these, that, that's, it's interesting to me. I, I, I haven't really sat sat down and talked about photography that much, but that that's really cool. I really appreciate you know hearing all that. Um, moving on, like I know you do music. Um, I I never really knew that you did music. I I remember you know I've seen your stuff before, but I never knew that you did music. I think the first time I did find out you did music was I think there was an old video on YouTube, and you were playing the guitar. I'm like, oh hey, that's that's him, and I'm like, oh he, he does music. Uh, like how long, like with photography, like how long have you been, you know, working on music and how long has music been a passion of yours? If it is, I'm assuming it is. Yeah. <clears throat> In high school, I definitely got into it the most. I learned how to play guitar, taught myself some drums. I learned how to play piano, took piano lessons. Then I learned how to play bass. I taught myself how to play harmonica. I did a little bit of fooling around on banjo, but never really got good at it. Um, yeah, so I guess music I've been doing since I was in high school to like varying degrees. It's like, it's like my first love, you know, where like right now I don't feel like I'm in a super musically active stage in my life, but, um, that's just because I got other stuff that I think is more, more pressing for me for some reason or another, you know, I think it's writing sucked me in for now but yeah like even in college i put out a pineapple tours ep you know um it's it's funny because i keep like <clears throat> so much of this art stuff is like kind of intertwined with the history of dade so i guess there's just really no way to not touch dade but like when i put out the first pineapple tours ep like dade was kind of at the height of his popularity and so the first ep did really well but i used the internet as such like um I guess an audience that nobody in my like day-to-day -day real life really knew anything about me playing music. Cause I moved to Nashville, like went to a school where lots and lots of musicians, like it's one of the top five music schools in the country. You know, this and that, like I'm surrounded by music. So I was like, well, I'm not gonna try to compete with the rat race. And uh, <clears throat> so I just went online when things were working out with that first EP. And then one of my friends heard it, just because I mentioned it in passing. It was when we were starting to become friends. And he was the reason that we started playing out live, you know, as a band. <clears throat> and so that was a whole new stage in the music. It is that we, you know, we got to a point where we were considering going on tour. Um, I think looking back now, if we had been as smart about it as we could have been, 
then it's definitely something we would have done. Um, right. But yeah, we played a lot. We headlined some cool venues, and um, that was, I, I guess, when I was 21, 22, 20. But yeah, right there in that pocket, music got extremely serious for me. Yeah, that's that's cool that you you have the opportunity to to perform on venues. That's one thing. Like, if I were to have like a list of like things that I want to accomplish in life, that's one of the things that I. It's just really weird. It sounds really silly, but like I want to be able to perform or be on a stage in front of a huge audience. Like I don't know how many people would be there, but just a, a lot of people. Um, and it's cool to see, hear that you've had the opportunity. I, I don't think I have, like, you know, my church would do when I was younger, they would do um, like talent shows and I would do puppets and stuff, but like I never had the opportunity to be on a big stage. And that's that's one thing for me, at least, um, that I would love to do. Oh, yeah, um, cool, man. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, for music, t- growing up, did any of your, your friends or family, you know, w- did they have a passion for music as well? Did they, did they like music or was it was it difficult for you because your friend your friends might have not liked it? Um, I think growing up, you know, my friends like music. Everybody likes music, but. <clears throat> Lots of my friends and I think like the popularity of Guitar Hero video games back when I was like I don't know, 13, 14, definitely got a lot of dudes my age like, ooh, I definitely, I want to get a guitar. But, um, <laughs> so lots of us picked up, picked up the axe at the same time, you know, and uh, we like learned together, we like compared riffs and stuff, mostly playing like only classic rock back then. Um, okay. You know, at the very beginning like Iron Maiden and stuff. But then um, I guess, yeah, my family was not musically oriented. Like I think my stepmom had like taking piano lessons and my grandpa sang a lot. He was always a good singer, um, but he never played anything. Okay. Yeah, it was just something that I felt like I wanted to do. Right. For, for favorite music genre, um, I know that you know the guitar. Um, and is there a specific genre that you like uh, of music? I remember looking up online your, your your band, and you listed it as lo-fi. I thought that was cool. Lo-fi is a genre that I really love. Like you know, ukulele, like static, like just lo-fi is abs- is one of my favorite genres. Uh, and when you, when I've listened to your music, it for me at least listening to it, like this sounds really. It sounds like it sounds like I don't know how to describe it. So I was just gonna ask you like what. What's your favorite genre of music? Yeah, that's a great question. Definitely listen to a lot of like folk music, lots and lots of rock, but not like rock after maybe 1972. I like, like, I don't know, like rock and roll is an embryo. Like I love Chuck Berry and um, Albert King. And then moving on into the 60s, I love the Rolling Stones, all their stuff up until the album Goat's Head Soup. I love Bob okay. Dylan. Bob Dylan's my favorite. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah. Particularly love the big three albums, but then even like John Wesley Harding, where he's just singing these really long poems with this rock band and an acoustic guitar. It's just, well, it's not, it, it's a rock band, but it's not, it's him, a bassist and a drummer. Um, right. But yeah, that, that sound for me is like really magical for some reason. Um, I like, and I think, <clears throat> the mountain goats do a really good job with that as well, that kind of sound. Um, at least they used to early on. 
but there is one album and I can't remember if it's I think it's All Eternal's deck where it's a very spare folk rock and roll band where it's like him on guitar, a drummer, a bassist, maybe some kind of symphony. I don't know, but yeah, I love like really minimal stuff. And so it's interesting you bring up lo-fi because, you know, I remember when lo-fi actually meant low fidelity and, you know, you had all these independent artists recording on not the most ideal setups, um, mm -hmm. but now lo-fi is almost just taking on this meaning as like RM, you know, internet R&B um, that's extremely high fidelity and has, you know, you can hear the money, but um, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I don't know, I guess, I because I'm trying to think, yeah, so I do like lo-fi, like, early indie rock as well then i listen to a lot of classical music i listen to a lot of like sound art um i listen i went through a phase where i listened to a lot of really avant-garde stuff um when i was i guess in senior year of college and then right after um but i i'm not really averse to anything as i get older i get to like country a lot um I like yeah and i was gonna ask that yeah, I was gonna ask if you if you like liked country, uh, if that was a genre that you liked. Yeah, it's definitely something I I actually love country. I didn't always, and I think I was a little hesitant to get into it. But I think with country music, at least as far as I've experienced it, there's this kind of like irony involved in listening to it, where it's like it is sincerely good, and it's genuine and it's wholesome for the most part. You know, and I'm talking about classic country mainly. I, Right. I don't really listen to the new stuff, the pop charts anyway. But <clears throat> so there is this really genu genuinely good quality of it. But then there's also just like this funny performative element. Like if you listen to the Buck Owens song, Act, Act Naturally, it's all about, you know, it's this famous guy, Buck Owens from Hee Haw, singing about how they're going to put him in the movies. They're going to make a big star out of him, the biggest fool who's ever hit big time. And all he's got to do is act naturally, right? Like, all he's got to do is right. like himself. And it's really funny. Like, it's good, but it's funny, too. And I think there's just this, like, capacity for humor in country music that doesn't really exist. I mean, I guess I think probably exists in, like, hip-hop circles and stuff, too, but not uh, in, like, rock and roll, you know? Not in uh, classical music. Like, I think, too, about um, the... Rolling Stones doing country. They have this song called Faraway Eyes and it's just hilarious, you know? And <clears throat> I don't know, I feel like um, it just has this capacity that, uh, you know, to be funny at the same time as it's good. Right. Yeah, it's it's cool that you, you brought up that about like country. Um, my, uh, on my mom's side, my, a lot of the, um, I, my uncle, um, yeah, my uncle's, and my grandfather, they uh, they had a, they had like good voices, like good voices for music. Mm -hmm. um, my uh, uncle Gary, he uh, he's into country. Um, I'll send you, I'll send you in the Zoom chat. I was just gonna send it to you just for fun because hey, why not? Um, he you know he plays the guitar and he would just sing country. Um, that's one of the songs called Downtown Blues. He told me about how he wrote that because um, I think his cat ran away, like his cat left didn't come back and he kind of wrote wrote a song called downtown blues you know skim through that it 
country listening to it there's different types of country you know i don't know how to say it if there is but like i don't know i just like this this is a type of style of music i like what the downtown blues yeah i don't really know he he says he's country and so i'm assuming do you want me to listen to it right now and see sure. i mean not the full thing you can listen through if you like yeah, i want to I wanna hear it three singer sings to an empty room I like it a lot. Definitely say it's like folk, but I guess country means different things to different people. You know? um, yeah, <clears throat> definitely has the twang though, because folk's such an interesting kind of music genre where it like inherited so much from like Celtic music too. Where um, right, you know what I associate with folk is because folk's just all-encompassing right like every country has folk music every nation every group of people and it all sounds so vastly different so when we refer to folk as like being somehow related to americana or something typically i tend to think of like you know the the irish influences and the like i don't know the like the bluesy southern influences that whatever that it picked up but I think where I like folk the most is where it has like a twang or a country kind of bluesy chords and like dominant sevens and stuff. And yeah, I, I do like this um, this song that you're. It reminds me of um, Glenn Campbell kind of like wistful and yeah, like you can feel the time passing. Yeah, I I love that was like one of the only songs that I listened to by him. Like I love this, like the chorus is like it's i don't know why i i i I compare things to different things like really weird things Mm -hmm. listening to this one it reminded it gave me american pie vibes the way it's sung i could see that yeah that's kind of i mean that's kind of what it's given me to something like you'll always be Like it's got that, you know, yeah, kind of successful Americana kind of feeling, full of light, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, lo-fi. I'm not really sure if you if you follow a lot of the lo-fi circles, but I've heard a lot of lo-fi producers saying that it's a dying genre. I'm not sure if you would agree with that. It's it's not like it's like it's going down. Like there's not a lot of lo-fi producers, but the genre is is like it's not really known to people anymore. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like a moment in history that i think is more or less gone now even like i say where it seems like to me anyway where lo-fi survives it's very much like a (laughs) what chill lo-fi beats to study to or whatever you know it's just background noise like but when i think lo-fi i think of like um i don't know just some of the very small indie bands that were recording with terrible gear you know that have like yeah a thousand three thousand followers on facebook or what it whatever you know platform <laughs> that where it's just very harsh audio quality but you know i <clears throat> and i think as far as that's concerned yeah absolutely it's dying because all people seem to care about you know the quality has to be better now it has to be louder it has to be what they're doing like multi-dimensional audio ap or whatever mm-hmm. like it's all about fidelity and um 
I don't know. I don't really care about that. You know, when I was 14, I was listening to like Bob Dylan and the band on the, the basement tapes before it was remastered. So it was just like all these wet tapes that had just been, you know, captured back. And like it sounded like junk, but I, I've never really cared about fidelity. So I do feel like in that way, like, yeah, I might be an odd bird. Um, yeah. But it does seem like, yeah, like the days, the days when an entire musical genre is marked by just all these people getting access to the garage band and uploading their music to LimeWire or whatever, and people finding it that way, you know, that does seem to be very much a thing of the past, like a way that, you know, people don't really engage with the internet in the same way. People don't really engage with music in the same way. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. It's cool to see that. Like, I looked up lo fi right now, and it's, I, I find this hard to believe, but it says Lo-Fi first came out about during the 1950s as a new wave of amateur musicians began making recordings on shoestring budgets. That's like, and it's got like a song here from 1968. I'll listen to that later. Like, Interesting. I didn't know that it stretched back that far for sure. I thought it was like uh, <clears throat> maybe the 80s, but um, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it says here, the song that I actually just said, 1968, it's the Beach Boys wake was the wake the world it says this is supposedly lo-fi i don't i don't think i've heard this song before but i don't know it i'll listen to that later but yeah it's pretty remarkable to uh see that uh this is a very silly question i just thought i'd ask it just for fun because um, i i enjoy rap music um i like all genres but old school boom bap like jazz and like you know yeah record scratching i i i much prefer that over trap music but have you ever tried rapping before? I, I'm just, it's a really silly question, but have you ever tried rapping before? Is it something you've tried? I've never tried rapping before. I know 100% without a shadow of a doubt, it is something I would not be good at, at least right off the bat. <laughs> but um, I do, I enjoy, I know I left hip hop out of my favorite genres. You know, I like hip hop and there are some albums that I go back to and I have a couple in the car, you know, on CD that I'll pop in from time to time. It's just, um, it's not a genre that I listen to a whole lot, but I enjoy it. I don't, well, and that's the other thing too, is that nowadays when I listen to music, I don't really have it on very much, except when I'm writing. Um, and I don't know, yeah, and I don't like music with words in it while I write, but um, no, anyway, to answer your question, I don't, um, I, I don't rap. I have never really tried, and I would be embarrassed to give it a shot right here, for sure. Mm-hmm. You, I also know that you're a writer. This is a nice transition question to the writing process. Um, like, aside from rap, I really enjoy, and I'm not sure if you've ever listened to this type of music before, and I, I, I can definitely send you examples later on, but the type of rap music that I, I listen to, and it's definitely a genre that I find hard to listen to with my friends, but it's more of a spoken word, poetic, slow pace kind of rapping. Uh, like, thing like that, things like that. And I know that you're a writer, and so have you, has spoken word interest you? I'm not sure if you've listened to any spoken word, but. I've never really listened to spoken word before, um, to be honest with you, no. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, because I've gone to readings and stuff, poetry and like literature, or like fiction readings, and I always feel so out of place there. Um, where the writer is like reading their work to me. And I feel the same way about um, audiobooks and stuff. Where it's like, it, the, the whole, to me, the whole point should be 
to engage with the text yourself as opposed to have it given to you as a performance. Um, right. There does seem to be like a barrier that keeps the text from being like existentially relevant or sinking its hooks in in quite the same way. I think when somebody's reading or performing the text to you because then they change it however they want it to be perceived, right? Like right. They, they're heightening certain cadences based right. on how they're hearing it in their heads. But I think the, the remarkable beauty of writing a written word versus a spoken word is like, you can read the same words and, you know, accentuate different cadences and give significance to different things than other people would. And that's what makes a text so beautiful. And that, I guess in my opinion, like, um, yeah, spoken word kind of loses that really cool quality of writing. You, uh, you're, you're a writer. Um, and I've, I've read a few of your things that you've written. Um, when did that, when did that take place? When did you say, Hey, I want to, I want to write. Because I've I've had that where I'm like I want to write, but I've never been able to fin finish things because I'm just get I get lazy. Like how when did you start writing, and how are you able to stay motivated? Yeah, I guess I've written most of my life. I look back at like in school I would write a lot in elementary school, you know, when we journaled or whatever. When there was a you know segment of the class devoted to journaling. Um, yeah, I always loved, like, English class was one of my favorites, and I never wrote in any organized way back then. But, you know, in middle school, when we moved on to writing, you know, larger, more comprehensive pieces of work to satisfy, like, state requirements or whatever. Like, we had to write three short stories one year, and the next year we had to write, like, four poems or whatever, this or that. And I always took it very seriously even though it was just some, you know, like, um, <clears throat> school requirement. I still, yeah, I worked on them a lot. And then in high school, there was a certain time, both playing music and with writing, where it was like, no, this is something that I want to do. And then, um, yeah, and I guess in college, it just kind of happened. I think I wrote... I got really into books senior year of uh, high school, and then I may have written my first short story. It may have been freshman year of college, so it may have been a little bit later than high school. But yeah, I mean, from that point, I was all in. Then I stopped for a little while from sophomore year to senior year, I think, or junior year. Junior year, I got back into it. I discovered um, a resurgence of literary interest on the internet, on Twitter. Um, in the community that is now gone, um, but it was called Altlit. It's gone for like lots of different reasons. Some of them mm -hmm. definitely warranted, but um, yeah. And then I really started writing a lot. Then I moved to Texas. I stopped writing. Um, got really into a career, and uh, moved back to Nashville. And eventually, I realized that I was putting a lot of creative energy into. Um, my career that I've, you know, missed putting into writing. And so I guess over the last two years, I've really ramped up the writing. I always knew I wanted to write a book about Texas after I lived there. And so I'm getting to the point where it's almost finished. So it's very exciting. 
Let's go. I can't wait. I can't wait to see the finished product. Um, you mentioned journals. Um, my dad gave me a journal, um, and he gave us all the kids in the family a journal. Um, I think it was uh, 2018, I think. Um, and for you, do you do you continue to write in your journal? For me, I haven't. I'm just curious if you. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I write. I use it in different ways. Like when I'm not like right now, I I like to write my first draft of all my stuff down with my hand on a paper because it changes the way that I engage with it. So like at a stage like the one I'm in now where I'm done writing new stuff and just solidifying old stuff, I find that I'm just typing on the computer because, you know, I'm revising and editing. But <clears throat> when I'm not at that point, which I'm not usually at that point, this is like new for me, to be to have such a large body like piece of work, first of all, go keep going over, you know, and <clears throat> but most of the time I'm not in this stage of writing. I'm usually <clears throat> coming up with the first draft or just walking around tossing ideas around or just writing about my day. And in those cases, I always have a journal on me. I started doing that again this week. Um, this is my current journal. Um, just collect thoughts, things that I hear that I like, returns of phrases, new ideas new takes on old ideas. If I read a chapter of the book that I'm working on now, for instance, and I don't love it, I'll rewrite it in the you know journal. Um, but yeah, I would say that I, I journal every day. It's very important. Too. Okay. Yeah. Um, and for writing, for me, I'm just curious if this applies with you. Like, do you, like, when I was younger, I would just, like, sit there and just boom, an idea right in my head. I don't know why, maybe I looked at a tree, maybe I saw a person walking and just an idea pops into my head and like I, I come up with like a, a character and I don't come up with a full plot, but I just a character pops, in, pop, pops into my mind in a situation, maybe their job. Um, is that the same for you? Because you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to actually keep all these ideas in this palm-sized book, you can't see it, but it's a palm-sized book and I just write down the title, the title of the, the, uh, the story and when i read it i instantly remember what the idea was i'm not sure how how you keep track of your writing ideas yeah so i i mean certainly start from a similar point um so for instance in this book i'm working on now there's a character called buck owens um who is not the buck owens country singer he just happens to have the exact same name but so like you, I get these characters and these situations in mind. And then I start asking myself questions like, well, <clears throat> what would have to happen for this character named Buck Owens to find himself in the exact same life circumstances as the country singer Buck Owens? Just completely accidental. And then, you know, from there I start drawing lines. It's like, well, he has to be a showman of some kind. But he can't just be any showman because Buck Owens was already a country singer and a you know, movie star. So, well, maybe he does magic on stages in Vegas. So then it's like, well, what gets him to Vegas? Well, he's a trucker. And so it's like, you know, just like you say, you just pick sort of this character, pluck him out of the air, and then you've got him. Well, now you start to get, you've got to fill in his um, surroundings, his environment, you know, his circumstances. But I guess, yeah, it's been really interesting because this novel is unlike anything else I've ever written before. It takes 
place from, I guess, six or so different perspectives. And so it's a lot to keep up with. Um, and so it's like just having one solid coherent document in which I can write all the stuff that happens to Buck Owens. And then another one where I can write all the stuff that happens to so-and-so. And then another one for, you know, this person and this person and this person. But usually, <clears throat> I guess when I'm not writing stuff that's quite as long or difficult, um, I just keep track of it, you know, in my head, mainly. I don't like to outline a story. I feel like it makes it... You know, I kind of want it to wander. I usually have the outline in my head anyway, so um, the outline can change as the story unfolds, you know. Right. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's sort of the beauty of it, too, is not being mm -hmm. able to keep track of it in your head sometimes leads to a better outcome. So, yeah, just right. things like that. Yeah, that, that's, that's really great to hear that you've been able to, you know, come up with such, like, you know, ideas. Um, we are we are a product of you know everything that we've learned in our life what two books would you say have impacted your life the most because i'm assuming that you you read a lot because you mentioned about you know philosophy and all this you know crazy stuff like what two books would you say in your oh entire life helped you that is a very difficult question if i had to answer it i might say <clears throat> Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut and The Sickness and the Death by Soren Kierkegaard. Okay. Why would you pick those two books? Um, well, because they're perfect books. <laughs> but, I don't know, Breakfast of Champions has, um, it's an amazing text. It's, Kurt Vonnegut puts himself into the story in and among the characters who don't know that he's the writer. Um, it investigates the relationship between God and man, between writer and writing, between, I don't know, all sorts of things. Right. Then, um, I don't know, it's sort of like a proto-existential text by um, the, one of the grandfathers of existentialism, Kierkegaard, but he wasn't an existentialist. He was... Uh, he was a very dark thinker, but he was also a very positive thinker, um, which is not typically remembered when he's discussed. Um, but this is perhaps Kierkegaard at his darkest. He wanted to show <clears throat> the terrifying possibilities that um, human thought could take, that you know, sort of psychological apparatus could be applied to, just like worldly darkness and... Um, depression, despair, he spins, that, that book is literally, he talks about despair a lot, that book's about just existential despair and being alone in the world, um, and yeah, I don't know, it's, it's a dark book for sure, but I like it, um, right. it challenges you to think, and it also examines the relationship between man and God, and the writer and the writing, and all these sorts of things, so, right. One question that I had, um, looking at your, your bio on your story right here, um, the end of the telescope, um, this was inter an interesting question. It says at the end, um, I'm going to butcher some of these words here, uh, aesthetic theory um, and hermeneutic uh, continuity of existence, um, postmodern, like, what exactly are these? Um, what, are, what are those? <laughs> yeah, so aesthetic theory is <clears throat> basically the theory of I mean, you can boil it down very simply to the, you know, philosophy of art, but 
it originates with Immanuel Kant. At least he's the one who came up with the term, you know, for aesthetics. That and sat down and said that he was doing aesthetics. Um, and it initially was meant as the study of beauty. So beauty, right? One thing that kind of like what you were talking about when you mentioned, you know, coming up with character ideas or whatever, where one thing for some reason seems to pop out from all the rest, right? And so while examining what it is about that thing that makes it seem beautiful or makes it seem particularly uh, deserving of observation. And so that's kind of what aesthetic theory is, it's just the examination of form with orientation toward um, hermeneutic continuity of existence is hermeneutics has to do with like I don't know I guess interpreting and then um, enacting interpretation which is you know which is again then interpreted and then acting which is again then interpreted right it's all about this interpretive cycle of being and so when we talk about existence you know, I'll give you the most basic examples. When you go to bed at night, right, and you wake up, it seems like you, as a sub, as a thinking thing, have occurred in two different spaces. But somehow there is some continuity that binds the two, right, that brings them together as a single unified thing. And that's a sort of interpretive process or interpretive agent. So in that sense, you know, just existing, right, right. is is a sort of hermeneutic continuity, a continuity of interpretation. Um, so yeah, just selfhood and how the self understands itself. Yeah, self I find this all fascinating, yeah. Yeah, it's fun, it's cool. Right, uh, let me see. Um, I'm trying to think about any other questions. I had a bunch of, uh, I had a few random questions, but I didn't have a way to fit them in the conversation. Um, do you, yeah, do, you yeah. run a, do, do you run a bar? Uh, like you said something about like, I'm not really sure exactly what that was, but like, I see you posting about, you know, at the bar, like, do you run one or do you just go to one? I go to many, but I have a okay. friend who owns one and I work there. That's my part-time job. So, okay. Um, yep. I got really very serious about a bartending career for a while and I was, you know, submitting to drink competitions and stuff and um, was going to get a bunch of certifications until 2020 rolled around. That's when things changed okay. a little bit. But yeah, I still I still do work part time as a bartender. It's fun. That that's really great. What is your favorite adult drink? <laughs> like, what's your yeah. favorite adult drink and why? Uh, beer, just because it's uh, <clears throat> you need more of them to do serious damage. It's delicious, um, and they make beer that tastes like everything now. I don't know. It's relaxing. Nothing like it. Just a couple of friends hanging around, having a couple of beers. Yeah. I know you're young. It's still a long oh, way, yeah. but uh, yeah, no worries. Yeah. Mm. To the listeners who are maybe listening up to this point, what's one one thing you would like to pass to them? Those are one the thing I would like, like to pass on to them. Answer. Uh, <clears throat> answer. I would say, ooh, that's a tricky one, man. Um, I would say, <clears throat> I would just quote Clint no Eastwood in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly when he says. Man's laughing. No, it's not even the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a fistful of dollars. He says, a man's life in these parts often depends upon a mere scrap of information. And I've always liked it. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll I'll, I'll kind of end the, the the recording right here. Thank you so much, Lake, uh, for coming on for the the first episode of like the transition from the podcast to this. Well, thanks for thanks for having me. It was nice to talk to you, and thanks for sending me downtown blues. No worries. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll I'll include the uh, your 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 links in the description, and people can check you out. But yeah, until next time, you guys have a great rest of your night, and having a great day tomorrow.